Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I don't know, friends. At some point in life, I'm going to be able to breathe normally again, but perhaps it won't be anytime soon. I'm coming to terms with this whole thing. What an annoying, annoying, very mild cold. Terribly annoying. Easily treatable with uh, nasal spray you're not supposed to use for more than five days. But shh, don't, uh, don't tell anybody. So, uh, welcome to the show. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Bespris. Uh, you may have noticed that yesterday's show was released at like 11.59 p.m. the previous night, Eastern Time. I needed to get that one out early. Uh, because I took the family, or family took me, or however you want to do it, to uh, to Disneyland on Wednesday. I haven't been there in probably 15 to 20 years myself. Kids had never been there. I'm exhausted today. It's a dumb complaint, because it was very cool. But, uh, let me... Some pictures probably coming on Twitter at some point. I know you guys don't actually... Some of you uh, used to say you loved the parts where I talked about my personal life, and many of you said, please, Dan, shut the hell up. Uh, which is why I, I only do it like once every 50 or 60 shows, but screw it, I did it a little bit today. There it is. Ah, we'll talk about it on social media. It's Thursday, off-season episode number 74. Wow, I can't believe it's 75 tomorrow. Again, I do the same thing I do every single day this off-season, and thank you all for listening throughout the off-season. Absolutely amazing. I still can't wrap my head around the fact that you guys want fantasy basketball chatter this much in the middle of July, but I love it. I love it. And we're in the middle of number two week here on Fantasy NBA Today. It does seem like folks like it, which is cool because it's fun for me to do. I get something to talk about. It's a little bit different. And I think it's going to be a big kind of post-facto talking point this season. Who did you take number two? Who went number two in your league? What was the order of two through nine in your league? And then which of those guys actually pan out is going to, I think, play an enormous role on what teams in your league can actually compete with the team that has Nikola Jokic. Because Jokic team is in this very interesting and fun spot where you kind of have to screw up to not be in the mix for fantasy juiciness, whereas everybody else has to, in addition to not screwing up later picks you kind of need to win on later picks. Like, you need to gain ground on the Nikola Jokic team, starting with your... Not the pick right after him, because you're not going to gain ground on him with pick 2 through 10, but second round, third round, whatever. You need to be better than the, the team with pick number 1, or you're just not going to catch them. You can't maintain. You can't be like, oh, well, my pick was about as good as that guy's pick. You need to be... and. By the way, guy could be anybody. Guy, gal, whatever. Uh, you need to be better. And it's really hard to be better than another team on almost every pick after the first one, especially when you consider that in odd-numbered rounds, you're going to pick later than them. Tough spot, man. So I do think people are going to be talking about this chunk of players a ton this year, more than in seasons past. And I want to try to shine this spotlight on it this week, or however long we need to end up doing this. Because, I don't know, one, it's interesting and fun, and two, 
it's also fun for me to look back at it and say, remember when we talked about this in July? Remember how important we all agreed that this was going to be? And then hopefully we're all right about this. By the way, we is all of you as well. Um, we're all kind of in this thing together. So far this week, we have discussed six possible number two. Steph Curry, Luka Doncic on Monday. Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant on Tuesday, which I thought was actually a couple of guys that would make a lot of sense there. LeBron and Harden for Wednesday's show, which, you know, does James do a little bit better? Maybe. Does LeBron do a little bit worse? We'll see. Can anybody in this group stay healthy? And that's really been the issue for everybody we've mentioned so far. Have any of the six players I've listed, do any of them give you faith that they can remain healthy? So should we then look at someone who maybe doesn't have quite the same per-game upside, but perhaps you could argue for their health getting them up into that number two spot? And I kicked around a few names on this front. And I'm not going hyper young. That's actually going to be tomorrow's show. That's for Friday. We're going to go with the young guns on Friday's show. And we're going to go with still big names, but ones that don't, in my estimation, have a claim to that top three or four per game pedestal, but might be able to claw their way up there with other levels of production, meaning being reliable. And these names are no stranger to the near top two because last year, and I, I almost want to do three players on today's show, but we may have to save one until next week. These two players last year finished three and four behind Joel Embiid by totals. And they are Carl Anthony Towns and Trey Young. And you guys know I've been down on Trey Young, and he stuck it right in my face last year. Smushed it right in the old punum. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. He was number 11 on a per-game basis, which was excellent far better than I could have ever imagined. And, and this has been, you know, a a running thing with Trey. He is very durable. Heals quickly. Don't know how. Smaller guy, but takes the punishment. Tons of free throws. Doesn't seem to knock him off. Played in 76 games. Most of anybody in the top 10, or top 12 on a per-game basis. So any first-round per-game guys 
It was Trey at 76 games, Cat at 74, and Jokic at 74. And the next one down the board is Jason Tatum, who I also kind of want to lump in with these other two guys today, but I'm not gonna. He gets his own time, and that'll probably be on Monday with one other player, and that I'm thinking we'll wrap up this discussion, but we'll see. Because tomorrow it's the young guys. It's LaMelo and a Tyrese Halliburton. That'll be a fun one. So we'll start with Trey Young. And here's the thing about Trey. And you guys know where I'm going to go with this. Last year was the win for him. And that's okay. It's a very hard thing to do psychologically to accept that we just missed our chance. Like, usually there's a time where someone is going to be a bit undervalued and they overperform, and that was Trey Young last year. I thought, foolishly, mistakenly, that other people might take a little bit of usage from him. They keep trying to get him help, and it keeps either not working or he doesn't want to bother with it. And then more than anything else this last year, yes, you know, the, the absurd level of usage was a big deal, But the fact that he shot 46% and turned that field goal percent issue into kind of a non-factor was a big reason why he was able to catapult from, you know, if you take everything else he did this last year and you drop his field goal percent to high volume 42, he falls back in the middle of the second round. He scored him in that Freddie Van Fleet, maybe even a tiny bit behind him range, which doesn't sound like a lot, but moving each slot at this level is a big deal. And even that would have been good, but it would have underperformed his ADP. Per game. Per game, his ADP was almost right on where he was drafted. Remember, he was taken in that like 10 to 14 range by most folks, but the durability pushed him above that. What about this year, though? Because Trey's coming off a season where he took 20 shots a game and seven free throws and had 10 assists. That's a lot of time with the basketball in your hands. Led to 28 and a half points, three three pointers, four rebounds as well. He actually even had a steal per game which is something very strong free throw impact guy on a team that brought in the number eight per game fantasy guy in DeJounte Murray, who took 18 shots per game and had nine assists per game last year. 21 points as well. Eight rebounds, two steals, DeJounte Murray, only 2.6 turnovers per game. I say it every time. It's a stupid adage to say there's only one basketball. But what it means isn't stupid. It's just sort of a a simple and inaccurate or just not nuanced enough way to say it. It's not that there's only one basketball, because, yeah, duh. It's that there's only so many possessions in a ballgame. And as of right now, pre-Trey and DeJounte playing together, Trey Young orchestrated almost all of them. You don't even have to know how much an impact Murray's going to have on Trey Young. And it's not going to be nominal. It's going to be something. They finally got him a little bit of help. You don't even have to know what that level is. How far does the needle actually have to move? All you need to know is that for the first time in Trey Young's career in Atlanta... There's someone else on the team who handles the basketball. That player hasn't existed to this point 
Even in Trey's down season, it wasn't because there were guys that were just demanding the ball from Trey or helping him out. He just wasn't as good. He just had sort of a down year. They tried to get other people involved, and it didn't work very well. This is a different monster. These are, these are both point guards at their core. Again, they combined for 19 assists per game last year. That can't just be on a new team. You can't have 19 assists among two guys on a basketball team. It just doesn't work that way. I'm not an NBA historian. I am a fantasy player who's been playing a long time, and I can't remember an instance where two players on the same team combined for 19 assists per game. I just don't think it happens. It certainly hasn't happened any time recently. I mean, if you look at the top assist guys, just sort by that number, it's going to be one guy from a bunch of different ball clubs. I'm trying to figure out the, the first like pairing you have. Chris Paul was number one last year at almost 11. Then James Harden, although he changed teams midstream, so maybe, you know, Harden plus someone else on Philly because it butchers his stats a little bit. But, like, everyone inside the top 12, it's one player from 12 different teams. I don't, I don't think this is... And Xavier Simpson on Oklahoma City sneaking in there for his four games is not doesn't really count because then you've got... Josh Giddy at down like around number 20, but no. Is it it might actually be Giddy and Shea on Oklahoma City as the two closest on this one? I'm trying to look for the first pairing of team names. Phoenix, Philly, Atlanta, San Antonio. I should have done this before going on air, but screw it. At this point, we're gonna try to figure it out. Um Giannis and Chris Middle, Giannis and Drew Holiday, they're up there. Drew was 6.8. Giannis was 5.8. Look, you get the point. If I Even if I don't find it. I think Shea at 6 and uh, Giddy at 6.4. That's about the same as Giannis and Drew. 13-ish. Two teammates combining for about 13-ish assists. Steph and Dre, that was a little over 13. The point is, you're not going to get 19 assists out of two guys. Especially not two guys that are going to share the floor most of the time. There are just too many play Like, they would have to just give the ball back and forth to each other. Here, you, here take this pass, now you shoot. Here, you take this pass, now you shoot. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Ricky Rubio qualified. He and he had stayed on Cleveland. Maybe he and Darius Garland would have been in this mix. You don't even need to know how much the impact is going to be to know that it's going to be non-zero. It's non-zero. That's all that you really need to know. Trey Young and DeJounte Murray were the number three and number four assist guys in the NBA last year. They are now on the same team. And for that reason alone, you simply can't, even with the assumption, frankly, that both of them are durable this coming year. And I don't know that we can assume that with DeJounte Murray. He's been a little more dinged up. But if we assume that with Trey Young, which is a relatively fair assumption, you're still talking about someone who is likely to take a pretty substantial per-game hit. Precisely because... 
And DeJounte Murray, maybe he actually loses more usage than Trey, but at least he rebounds and has big steals numbers, and there's sort of this cushion. With Trey Young, all of his positives come out of the usage bucket. Turnovers, yeah, those will probably come down a little bit, but Trey's biggest attributes, his greatest positives, are free throw percent coming down with usage, assists coming down with usage, points coming down with usage, threes coming down with usage. Yes, his negatives, turnovers, field goal percent is a very small one this last year. Yeah, those will get smaller negative, but Trey is one of the prime examples of a usage-is-value guy in the NBA. Because there's almost nothing he does on the floor that isn't directly related to having the basketball in his hands. Which, I mean, that's pretty common for point guards. But steals would cover that, and he's not a big steals guy. Blocks, if you're a big guy. Rebounds, if you're a big guy. Field goal percent, like if you're good at both percents as a big guy, I, you know... Usage would actually hurt that too, so scratch that one off. But just like, what are the things that can happen when you don't have the basketball? Defensive stats and rebounding, basically. Those three. And Trey Young doesn't do any of those things. DeJounte at least does two of them. So let's say Trey Young plays 76 games again this coming season, which does put him in the upper echelon of durability, guys. Could you take him at number two? I don't. I think the answer is a pretty resounding no. Because last year was a best-case scenario for Trey, and he was number four by totals. Mind you, close. But there are a handful of guys right behind him in totals that if even there's a little bit of slippage, he falls off. And a few guys that are kind of trying to chase him down. Like we've already talked about, Kevin Durant, he plays in more games, he chases him down. Steph could chase him down. LeBron, Harden, all these guys could chase him down. There's an argument for Trey to go near the turn again, which he could very easily get to if he remains durable, but he ain't going to be in the top five. Not with DeJounte Murray in town. Which sucks, because again, last year was sort of like the win with Trey, and it's probably gone. What about Cat? He's looking at a similar issue this coming season. Cat was number three by totals last year. Played in 74 out of 82 ball games. He plays in 76 just like Trey Young. He's basically neck and neck with Joel Embiid at that point. Instead, here he's a little bit behind Joel, about 10% back. But it's still a very solid number three overall. And he kind of had a feeling with Cat that as his team got more to play for he would start to play more games again. Durability's kind of always been his calling, and then separate him a bit from all of the horrendous stuff he had to go through on the COVID front. And sure enough, not surprisingly, a much better season was at their fingertips. But, but, even if, as we did with Trey, we assume that Towns is going to play a healthy number of games this year, this coming season... We simply can't ignore the fact that Minnesota traded for Rudy Gobert. In much the same, almost the exact same way that Trey Young has another point guard, another player playing his same position being added to his team in Atlanta. It's the exact same case with Cat in Minnesota. He was the starting center on that team, and they brought in a starting center. 
The only dif- difference between the two is that in one instance, like with Trey, DeJounte Murray's taller. He'll probably just play point or uh, shooting guard de facto, whereas Cat actually is the one who's going to kind of have to move. Both presumably on offense and defense. On offense, because he can space the floor. Cat hit two three-pointers a game this year while shooting 53% from the field. It's a similar kind of phenomenon to what LeBron was doing. You get a bunch of threes from someone who doesn't hurt your field goal percent. That's a big plus. Cat, you can't move Gobert away from the bucket on the offensive side. He is completely useless on offense if he's not right under the rim. Minnesota can create plenty of space because everyone else is going to be able to shoot, Cat included. I just, I don't know how effective that makes them. Now, look, they'll they'll find time to not share the floor together. Cat uh, played 33 and a half minutes a game last year. Rudy played 32. So assume that in the 15 roughly minutes, Cat isn't on the floor. Gobert is basically always the center. We can't, by the way, we can't assume that, but we can hope. And then vice versa. When Rudy's not on the floor, Cat should be there to play center. There basically should not be a center minute that goes to someone besides those two guys. We'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. Logistically, that's easier said than done, so it might not be kind of a a zero-sum sort of deal where one wins, the other one has to lose. Uh, But in a similar vein to the Trey Young-DeJounte Murray discussion, If you bring in a player who plays the same position as a star on your own team, there will be some erosion. We don't even need to know how much to know there will be some. Rudy Gobert didn't take many shots. Plenty of free throws last year. Didn't take many shots. 7.7. That's it. But 15 rebounds per game, 2 blocks per game. You can't just take something from someone else on the floor. It's not a one-to-one correlation. But if you're a power forward and you're guarding the other team's power forward, you are, on average, going to be farther from the bucket than if you're guarding the other team's center. Again, simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Cat is going to lose rebounds because he's simply farther from where they originate. He was a 25-10 and 10 this last year, Cat was. Three and a half assists, a steal, a block. By the way, another note, blocks has a chance to move. Could go up, could go down, but less consistency there in where is he playing on defense as well. Are you the last line of defense? Maybe he gets more as a help defender. If he can move off of another team's power forward, hard to say. What I'm now worried about on the cat front is usage. He'll still get his 16 and some odd shots per game. I don't think Rudy hurts that. Where they come from will be different. I think more of them will come from a little farther away. Maybe more three-pointers. Wahoo, I suppose. But at the same time, that would hurt field goal percent. So expect Cat's rebounding numbers to take a hit. Expect his field goal percent number to take a hit. There's a possibility his blocks might take a hit. I don't know that that's necessarily locked in. Again, they could kind of bounce in in a couple of different directions. Scoring probably remains relatively constant. And so among the two players that we're talking about on today's show, certainly between them, the one you have to have a little bit more confidence in is Towns. Since 
he's probably not going to lose much in the way of usage to Rudy Gobert, merely where he is on the floor. So you say, okay, well, a couple three-pointers over the course of a week, however many on the course of a season, fine, that's good. Maybe you get a little bit more there. You almost definitely will suffer in two rebounds and field goal percent. What does it mean overall for his fantasy numbers? And again, magnitude, we don't know for sure yet, but binary, yes, it's a one. Yes, there will be erosion. Could you take Cat 2 with any measure of confidence? My answer to that question on the Trey Young side is probably not. Because he was four last year in a best-case scenario. Cat was three last year in, I don't know if you want to call it a best-case scenario, but a close to it. You know, we've seen him do better on the block side. Maybe that does go up if he gets to help off of somebody and go try to block a center awkwardly lumbering towards the rim that, you know, Gobert is chasing or something like that. But, I mean, the expectation is that that number probably stays put or goes down. It's a little bit of a wild card, a little unpredictable. When you shift a guy off of his primary spot, he's going to get beat on defense a bunch by smaller, quicker power forwards. So maybe he can get them, back them in a little, get closer to the rim on offense. Yeah, that stuff is going to happen, but you have to run with the odds. Percentages would indicate he will be farther away from the bucket at both ends of the floor. He will not be the primary defender guarding the rim anymore. But then I'd ask you, who else is up there? Who moves in front of Cat, who was number three by totals last season? Trey, who's right behind him? No, he probably falls. Jason Tatum, could he get a little bit better? I don't know, maybe. Who knows? I had a pretty good and relatively predictable season. I'd like to see a few more steals out of Tatum. DeJounte Murray, he's going to take a hit. We'll talk about Halliburton and Ball tomorrow. And the other names up there at the top, Giannis, KD, Steph, Harden, LeBron. We've talked about a few of them already. Is Embiid? Is Kevin Durant? Are those your leading candidates at number two in a, in a situation where you're not punting? So Roto, basically. Would you take Carl Anthony Towns? Would I, maybe is the question, since I'm talking to myself here. Would I... Take Cat over Embiid or Kevin Durant this coming season. Knowing what I know about how many games those guys miss per season on average. <sighs> I don't think I could. You have to have some per game upside. And with Cat, you're talking about per game downside right now. The arrows pointed the wrong way. There are only a few guys up at the top that have per-game upside pointed up, meaning guys that we don't think we've actually seen the best of yet. One of them would have been potentially DeJounte Murray, but he got traded. And the other two are guys we're going to talk about on tomorrow's show. Tyrese Halliburton and LaMelo Ball. Can they get there? Thought that'd be a fun one to do over the weekend. Well, you guys can sort of let it linger a little bit. Like the cranberries. KD, Joel Embiid, LeBron James, Cat, Steph. There's all an argument. Who will you take at number two? 
The week continues here on Fantasy NBA Today. Thanks again for listening, everybody. I have a delightful Thursday, episode 74 of the offseason. Put a bow on that bad boy and finish up the week tomorrow. Toodaloo! Yeah, I said that.